And we spent some time talking about, you know, the reason, one reason we're having this debate at all is because we haven't really done much in terms of, you know, what is a biblical theology of marriage and sexuality? And what does that look like? And what's the purpose of Christian marriage? And is it really just so you can find your soulmate and be happy, which is what all the bridal magazines would tell you? Or is it about your sanctification? But, but you know, what would it look like to, uh, to thinking as pastor theologians, there is a deep need for the church to engage uh, in theological leadership and shepherding on what holy sexuality looks like. Hey everybody, we hope that you had a blessed Easter with your family of faith celebrating Jesus' resurrection this past week. Today on the Pastor Theologian Show, we have part two, the second half of our conversation with Dr. Matt O'Reilly, who is a CPT fellow and the pastor of Hope Hull United Methodist Church in Alabama. We're talking with Matt about the recent general conference of the UMC, including the conversations and votes that took place there related to gay and lesbian marriage and ordination of gay and lesbian clergy in the United Methodist Church. We're going to pick up our conversation with Matt with just a little bit of overlap with what we had on the show last week, just to give us some context. If you didn't listen to part one of the conversation, I encourage you to go back to the episode immediately previous to this one and give that a listen. There's lots of great conversation there. But without further ado, let's get right back into the conversation and the second half of it for today. I don't want the tone of this to sound, you know, particularly harsh or, or yes. unfair, but but you've got you've got a group of folk, you know, the, the progressive ideology tends to be about enfranchisement, more voices at the table. Those those kind of tend to be the standard. Yes standard lines in the ideology. Yes. And in this instance... Inclusion, I mean, inclusion. Yeah, inclusion, right? Yes. Different sorts of diversity, racial, ethnic, you know, uh, gender, all that sort of thing, right? Well, in this instance, you've got a group of American progressives who want to make a decision with no input from black people in Africa. Mm, mm. I was right. going to ask you, Matt, it, it's so on this, ironic, can, can, can you elaborate a little? I was going to ask you about the racial dynamic here, yeah. not just geographic, but the right. geographies attached to race and how that also plays out. So, so yeah. keep going. It, <laughs> keep it's, going. It, again, and I want to be, I want to be kind of careful, but, but I think these things need to be said. Yeah, you know, it, it is, it's, it's its own, it's almost its own form of colonialism, isn't yep. it? And you kind of this new version of. Hey, you know, ideological colonialism. Yeah, we're we're okay with Africa having a voice and a vote if they agree with us. But if they don't, we want you out of the question. We we want to make this decision ourselves. And you you constantly hear things like, well, if if North America got to make the decision without global input, then uh, then we would we would have changed our position a long time ago. Um, but the the thing about that is, it's inconsistent with the general kind of progressive agenda that focuses on globalization and diversity, mm, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it really is showing, I think, the incoherence of progressivism. Mm. Uh, because it only, it, we're, you know, it's only progressive if you agree with us. Kind yes. of and and yes. Uh, we only want your voice if your voice sounds like our voice, which means they're not really interested in diversity. Um, they're interested in their agenda, but it's not just an issue of the South being more conservative on this than the North globally. It's also right. that, isn't it, 
pews are more conservative than pulpits in the UMC. Is that also true? Yeah, that's a major piece. That's right. And and I'll say Elaborate this. I mean, there, on that a little bit. There were some places in the Southeast that sent, you know, centrist to progressive delegations as well. So, and there are, you know, there are places in the Southeast where it's, it's not monolithic uh, either. So, um, yeah, so the clergy tend to be, in general, more uh, moderate, centrist, progressive, liberal. I mean, you kind of, there's different terms that we use uh, to get at those ideas. And the, the laity, by and large, um, tend to be more, in general, conservative. Uh, you know, part of that has to do with the education system. Uh, part of it has to, you know, part of it has to do with the fact that we run our universities and seminaries using uh, educational models developed by 19th century German liberal Protestants. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, small detail. Uh, right, right. So, <laughs> who would have thought? You know, so and and that's uh, again, and this maybe we can have this conversation. That's one place where I see the Center for Pastor Theologians is yes. having a positive impact because we're in a position to kind of come back and say, hey. Let's we 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 we've been through that system. We understand how it works. We're not confident that it's a healthy way for churches to do theological reflection and pastoral training. Has and some strengths, but has some weaknesses. Yeah, right, right. And and we are the products of it in some ways. Yes, you know, we we've all we've done the credentialing and all those kinds of things. Um, and so, are we in a position then to kind of step back and say this is healthy and that's a strong piece, but this thing over here we need to think rethink that. Um, and so as, as we're having these, these conversations, uh, and as we're doing, you know, work on our theology of sexuality, um, then pastor theologians are in, I think, a unique position, uh, because we are grounded in the life of the local church. We are, um, interacting on a daily basis with congregants, parishioners who are coming and saying, Hey, I've got questions about this. What are we going to do about this? How do we need to think about this? Um, Mm. We're in a we're in a position to have some leadership there, I think. Yes, um, and 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 to be able to ably critique the educational institutions that have brought us to the place this unhealthy place that we've come to. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting. One of the things I was reading, Matt, because like we said at the outset, you, you so often uh, hear the or read the other narrative, but that the progressive. Uh, progressives within the denomination are considering leaving the denomination. It's usually the other way around, of course. That's the narrative right. we often see. What do you see to be the future of the UMC? What do you think is going to be the fallout of this? Where are things going to be in three years, five years, ten years? Yeah, I think um, the general conference in 2020 is going to be really important. Uh, the folks on the progressive side are going to go attempting to roll back everything that was done last month at 2019. And, and you can, they can do that? I mean, you can, you yeah. can kind of re, yes. rehash the whole debate again in 2020? Yeah, it will. Wow. Reha- it will be rehashed again. Wow. So, so the decisions of one general conference are not binding on the next. Uh, any general conference can reverse wow. pre- the decisions of previous general conferences. And so um, a new book of discipline is written every four years based on what comes out of general conference. So the folks on the left are going to go with everything they've got um, to, and then this isn't a, this has been said publicly, with an effort to roll back the traditional plan and the extra uh, provisions that are in place. Um, the folks on the traditional side will be going to general conference, attempting to get everything they did not get at the special session. 
Uh, so some of the things that were put out were decided, it were deemed unconstitutional uh, by the, our judicial council. And so you've got folks who are going back and rewriting constitutional versions of those, and all of that will be uh, on the table there again. Um, so that's the kind of thing that, that it, next year will be, dis, be very important, I think. Um, and, and, and then it'll take a little time to see how things play out. Part of that is because there's an immense bureaucracy in the UMC. Mm. Um, it's a very top-heavy organization. And a great deal of the bureaucracy, uh, the, the kind of the administrative hierarchical kind of thing is, is, is run by and filled with folks on the progressive side of the debate. Um, the evangelical kind of orthodox folks are more grassroots, mm-hmm. you know, pastors of local churches, those kinds of things. Um, and so it'll take a little time. I mean, you've got, you, there are, from what I hear, uh, leading progressive pastors who are calling meetings about what does a new version of Methodism look like and, and those kinds yeah. of things. Um, and, and so, again, though, how that plays out is a, is a, different, a different question. But you're One not thing, envisioning some schism, some big schism in the next year or two or some big exodus. Yeah, you, you, I, maybe. I don't know. Um, I think time will tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, it, 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 it could be. I mean, so, so you guys may have heard of uh, Adam Hamilton leads uh, the largest United Methodist Church in North America. And he's, he's convening some meetings with, you know, moderate progressive folks and some bishops and saying, hey, you know, let's try to put some pressure on the system, um, which, you know, by withholding, perhaps withholding some funds, which the, the thing with that is that that'll be more painful to folks who are on the left than on the right, I think. Um, so it's a little counterintuitive to me. But, um, you know, he wants to, he's, he's thinking, are there ways we can put pressure on the system? Uh, are there ways we can kind of um, do those sorts of things? Can we roll things back to the next general conference? And if we can't get what we want that way, then, you know, maybe we need to be thinking about about new expressions of Methodism. He hasn't come out and just said, we want to start a new denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it's vague enough that it, it could be taken that way, I think. So, you know, whether that happens or not, I don't necessarily expect, I think that folks on the progressive side are, are divided over that question themselves. Uh, some are going to say, I'm, I'm done with it. Uh, I'm tired of this UMC and the debate. And some are going to say, no, no, we've got to stick around and fight it out. Hey, everybody, just a quick note about a new giveaway that we're currently sponsoring here at the Center for Pastor Theologians. We're partnering with InterVarsity Press to give away a complete 46 volume set of the new studies in biblical theology series, which is a phenomenal series that seeks to help Christian leaders, scholars, pastors understand the Bible better by exploring key issues in biblical theology. The series is edited by D.A. Carson, and it aims to instruct, edify, and interact with current biblical scholarship. This would be just a phenomenal addition to any pastor theologian's research library. And honestly, I'm a little sad that I'm ineligible to enter the giveaway because I work here. Uh, Anyway, if you would like to enter the giveaway, all you have to do is go to pastortheologians.com slash giveaway and enter your name and email in the form on that page. Once you do that, you can also head over to our Twitter and Facebook pages where we 
announce the giveaway and retweet, share, or tag friends in the posts that we put on there announcing this giveaway of the New Studies in Biblical Theology. Any interaction with the giveaway posts on social media will count as bonus entries when we do the drawing for the prize a little later this year. Once again, the address to sign up for this giveaway is pastortheologians.com slash giveaway. All right, let's get right back to our conversation with Pastor Matt O'Reilly on gay marriage and homosexual practice in the United Methodist Church. So, Matt, I wonder if you could speak to, just for a little while, both pastorally and theologically. Um, I think there's, you know, there's so many different demographic splits in terms of how these debates just get sorted out, just with Western versus non-Western, um, you know, racial and, and the whole the whole rest of it. But what I'm thinking about right now is generational. Mm-hmm. And there's a way in which when I was following this, um, like viewed through a millennial lens and kind of that desire that's really innate within, I think, many in my generation to be on the right side of history. Sure. And you see the Facebook posts and the solidarity posts and all the drama kind of around this this meeting. And then you also see people that you know, people who are friends or people that you went to college with who are on the progressive side of this. And as you said, it, like because there were there were folks and are folks in the UMC that um, – I can't remember the language you used, but people who were not exactly sticking to the rules as they currently exist and right. were informally or formally ordaining folks who are uh, openly gay or, or lesbian or whatever the case may be. And also, um, my understanding is that most of the academic, the institutional academic side of the UMC is, in North America at least, is progressive. Yeah, by and large. Um, yeah. So I, I guess my just question is, what do you what do you say as as someone who kind of le- leans right in within the UMC um, to the people who dur- during this and in the fallout afterwards are truly like devastated and heartbroken yeah. because they found for kind of their expression of Christianity and what they th- thought the United Methodist Church was. They found it to be a very hospitable place for them, and now they feel rejected by it. And sure. it's a it's it's a very kind of heartbreaking, visceral thing to watch. And right. it's and it's and it's you know you can be as conservative as you know as anybody on the thing, but I I just had a sense that it was just truly heartbreaking to see people who had felt like this was a home for them now feel yeah. like it has th- their church has rejected them. Yeah. No. I think you're. I think your observations there about the way people are feeling are accurate, really spot on. Um, and as far as the social media piece of it goes, uh, I've bit my tongue oftentimes. Uh, and, and I mean, I would link to the occasional article here and there. Uh, but, but personally, I've tried not to sound celebratory in any way. I don't feel celebratory, to be honest with you. I don't think... No one won. Uh, I mean, you get a vote, but that doesn't mean that the problem is not solved. No one has actually won any victories that really are definitive in any way. Uh, And a lot of people uh, are in pain. Now, pastorally, 
uh, I think, and, and, and I appreciate by and large the folks on the conservative side, I don't think there's been a lot of celebratory kind of in your face, we won. That sort of thing hasn't happened in, in my observation. Um, and I just read an essay this morning, actually, by a very prominent uh, United Methodist theologian who remarked that the bishops really should have done a better job of preparing folks on the progressive side to be let down. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, mm, you, you know, because it's not as if we've ever, uh, I mean, we've, we've, the votes have been consistent year after year after year, and there was no reason to think, um, really, that, that it would be different this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, I expected the traditional plan to have the votes. My question was whether or not it would ever get to a vote. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that, that, you know, pastorally, there's some value in kind of creating space for folks to grieve. Mm-hmm. Um, who were hurt. And I think by not saying, you know, by not getting involved in the online debate, you kind of make some space for folks to process yeah. frustration and anger and hurt and sadness and rejection, feelings of rejection, things like that. Um, I've debated what, whether, you know, to write some things. Um, it's just, it's kind of a thing where I've, I've, I've done a lot more kind of processing myself and with a close group of colleagues than I have sort of publicly, uh, doing those sorts of things. Um, how is this impacting your local congregation? If you feel comfortable sharing that? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, my congregation is very traditional. I think leading up to general conference, there was the potential among a lot of folks on the traditional side for anxiety. Um, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, we're just, we're tired of fighting the battle. Yeah. Um, you know, the scripture is very clear in, in our, in the way we read it. Um, and we're just kind of over it <laughs> as far yeah. as, yeah. as the conflict fatigued. goes. Yeah. And so a lot of folks are kind of just ready to get it over with. Some folks want to see everyone just kind of go to their different houses and, and, and administratively divide things up. And, um, I have felt a strong sense and really, I think it's, 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 a it's a leading of the spirit to uh, resist the anxiety and, and not cultivate anxiety, but cultivate kind of an evangelical missional focus. Mm. And so uh, at our church, we stay focused on the Great Commission. Uh, we summarize the Great Commission with five words, follow Jesus, change the world. And we spend a lot of time emphasizing that, right? We're talking about how we what it means to follow Jesus. We're going to focus on preaching. We're going to focus on outreach. We're going to focus on mission. Uh, we do a, immense work in terms of, uh, local and, and, and domestic and, and global mission. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I love to brag on our folks that mm. we're, we're, we're doubling the number of people deployed on short-term missions from this year to last year at, at our local church. That's uh, so last year it was 20 or so, and this year we'll send out about 40. Um, so, so, so we're trying to focus on the positive calling that we have from the Lord Jesus Christ to disciple the nations. Uh, we believe the nations start next door, and uh, and that's that's kind of where we're living. You know, I, I've I've said a number of times, uh, the United Methodist Church and uh, my my reformed more reformed friends will appreciate this. United Methodist Church needs a good dose of the sovereignty of God and the doctrine of Hallelujah. <laughs> 
Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is not surprised by general conference. Um, mm. He's not thrown off or put off. Um, he is at work, and he is uh, caring for his his bride, and he is caring for his faithful, and he is refining his church uh, and sanctifying his church. Mm. And and so, my confidence is in Jesus, and I want the confidence of the people I pastor, to, I want them to have their confidence in Jesus. And if we stay focused on the Lord Jesus, uh, we'll do the work we have to do as far as the denomination goes. I'll read the articles. I'll stay up mm-hmm. on the issues. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, this church will benefit if we're focused on evangelism, discipleship, and mission. Amen. So that's that's where we want to put our energy. Amen. Matt, what lessons do you have for have you, for those outside the UMC who are observing this uh, and 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 wrestling with you, but as outsiders, not as insiders, what 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 observations, what lessons do you have? Yeah, good question. Well, I would say too, this this has been a, a battle that's been waged primarily in the main lines, but I suspect it's going to find its way into the more um, non-main line folk, you know. Southern yes. Baptists, Southern Baptists haven't had to fight this issue. I bet I think they will one day. You know, the kind of Assembly of God, more kind of charismatic leaning folks. I'm not. I don't think this debate has really made its way into those fellowships, but I think it probably will, and they need yes. to be ready. For, they need to be ready for that. Um, so, I mean, it's in North America. This is there. There's no sign that the cultural. Mm-hmm. Snowball is slowing down. It's go, it's rolling downhill and it's getting bigger. Um, so those things are there. We need we need pastors need a better constructive positive theology of human sexuality. Um, I was having some conversation with staff recently, uh, and we did some kind of town hall Q and A things leading up to general conference with with people in the church. And we spent some time talking about, you know, the reason, one reason we're having this debate at all is because we haven't really done much in terms of, you know, what is a biblical theology of marriage and sexuality and what does that look like and what's the purpose of Christian marriage and um, is it really just so you can find your soulmate and be happy, which is what all the bridal magazines would tell you, or is it about your sanctification, which is what Paul tells you, you know, what (laughs) Ephesians tells you. So, yeah, those are the kinds of questions that we need to be asking and the kind of... Well, you know, and that, so we're, that doesn't that doesn't sell as well, by the way. Just kind of out in, out in the marketplace that you get married for your sanctification. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It, it doesn't. It's always my lead off whenever I'm doing premarital counseling, though. So, um, <laughs> but but you know, what would it look like to uh, to 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 have a group of high school students spend some? Because I mean, t- think about our high school students for a minute. Yeah. If we're thinking as pastor theologians. Um, and I mean, probably middle school students too, but 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 let's just kind of focus on kind of older adolescents. Uh, think about the immense pressure and the kind of things that they're getting at school, uh, the things they get hit with from their friends, yes. um, the sexual pressure that they are faced with on a regular basis, um, with social media, probably perhaps in a nonstop kind of way. I mean, there's a lot going on there, and there are there there is a deep need for the church to engage. Uh, in theological leadership and shepherding on what holy sexuality looks like, and so you know, some of me and me and some some of our staff folks have been batting around. You know, what would it look like to begin? You know, maybe there are some resources out there where we can sit down with some of the 
you know, juniors and seniors or maybe sophomores and, you know, kind of get their parents involved in a discussion? What would it look like for us to talk about, mm. you know, God glorifying sexuality? And, um, and that I think is, is, is a necessity. Um, but it's certainly not going to be easy either. So there are resources out there, um, that I would commend and, and, and recommend, um, you all know uh, Beth Felker Jones. She's got mm-hmm. a little book on sexuality that would be spectacular for high school or college students to work through. Um, and and we're kind of brainstorming about what that might look like for us in in That's our great. in our local church setting. So uh, it's not you know it's the kind of thing where somebody you know somebody's great grandmother may want to call <laughs> and say why are why are we talking about sex in youth group or something like that right? But the youth are talking about it everywhere else. So Absolutely. If, you know, if we're not talking about it in youth group, we, we're, we're probably failing them. And I think it's exactly right. The loss of theological vision is what is so handicapping the church on this issue. Yeah, it seems that's to right. To your point, exactly. Yeah. Matt, um, thank you. It's been great to talk with you, get your perspective as an insider and someone who's deeply connected with and cares an awful lot about the UMC and its future. So thank you. I know this is a not just a theological ecclesial debate issue for you, uh, but a deeply personal issue and uh, for your congregation and you as a, a minister in the UMC. So thank you for sharing your perspective, your heart with us, brother. Very much appreciate it. Hey, and, we'll, a- and we'll continue to pray for you, your congregation and the UMC. I think we've all been mindful of that as all this has been going we, on. We welcome your prayers. It's an honor to have the conversation with you guys. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CPT Podcast, a theology podcast for the church. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider throwing us a like, sharing the podcast online, subscribing, leaving a review. Uh, Anything like that would go a long way towards helping other people hear about the podcast. Uh, The CPT Podcast is a ministry of the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can learn more about the CPT by visiting us at pastortheologians.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our host for today's episode was Todd Wilson. Our producer and editor was Trenton Jones. Our music was composed by Andrew Gerlicher. I'm Zach Wagner. Thanks for listening.